0: This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. You know, it's a privilege to be here with you, and uh, I think it's a great privilege to open up God's Word. In fact, I'm very glad to, uh, have to see everyone back at BTPC at 4pm, and I'm thankful that you're still on this gospel bus with us after last week. Because what happened last week when we were at Matthew chapter 1, we read through the family tree of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So what, we ha- what happened last week was that we had a movement, three movements of 14th generation that reveals that God has planned Jesus to bless the world through the son of Abraham, to rule the world, the son of David, and he's the Messiah that will save the world. And we even have to ask the question, do we actually need rescue ourselves? So today, as we come to Matthew chapter 2, the author has another tree for us, but not tree movement. Today, in Matthew 2, the author has three places for us that we can catch a glimpse of what sort of king God has prepared for us and what does that mean for those who looked and responded to him. So with God's help, we'll be digging into chapter two today, together. And we'll begin by our praying to God, asking him to grant us the wisdom and to be able to respond to his word. So would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we pray that you prepare our minds, our hearts, and our hands. That as we engage with today's passage and the three locations that we can see, we can feel, we can respond to how amazing you are and how we need Jesus to be our true King. For Jesus' name's sake we pray. Amen. So let me begin now by inviting you to step into the land of Judea 2,000 years ago. I think Nick has been preparing all of us by singing a lot of Christmas carols. Uh, Imagine me as we step into the land of Judea 2,000 years ago, and Mary had just given birth to Jesus for a a period of time, and then the events that happens and unfolds is when Jesus was uh, still a child. This will be the last time you hear it, because chapter 3 onwards is going to be an adult at 30 years old, right? So this is the last time you can catch a glimpse of Jesus who has to be carried around or to be led around. So let me begin Matthew 2 by reading the first two verses, and we'll see where we are at. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 to verse 2. If you have your passage, uh, look at it with me. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when he rose and have come to worship him. So now Jesus, He was born in this small town in Bethlehem in Judea. You know, it's actually not as romantic as all the Christmas cards that you see when Jesus was born. It's actually a pretty small town. I've given you a map. It's actually just nine kilometers down Jerusalem. It's actually quite near, but it's kind of a small town. Okay, this is uh, from Google Map, but it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a good gauge, okay? That was uh, just nine kilometers down south, and historically, it's, uh, it's a place of Israel's Greatest King, King David. Can you see? It's a bit small. I love the magic that Ben can do right? to expand it when I can. Um, So apart from it being an impressive place where Israel's greatest king was, it was actually not a very uh, important place at the time. Not to mention at the time, they were not their own kingdom. They were under the control of the Roman Empire. The the Roman Emperor had set up their own king there uh, to rule them. A non-Jew. So at this time, Bethlehem is not a big deal. And it was just at this t- time when Judea was kind of ruled by a Gentile king, there appeared a group of Magi from the east. Now when you hear the word Magi, what comes to your mind? My wise men. Um, you know Christmas songs starts popping up. There's one that's a famous one. It says, We Three Kings of Oriana. Anyone knows the song? We three kings are Oriana, uh, bearing gifts we travel afar. Can we have the lyrics? <laughs> Fields and fountain, more and mountain, following yonder star. I actually have to check what is moor, like. But anyway, it's uh it's kind of uncultivated land, right? You know this song. I kind of anybody knows this song at all? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I kind of quite like this song because it has got nice, nice tune, and like it has many wins. But I know the introduction is actually wrong. Right? Um, the truth is this. This is the real story. Those who travel afar are most unlikely, are most unlikely to be kings. They are magis. Magis are wise men. In fact, the magi or wise men are not the kind of wise men that we think. Because the magis, the wise men in ancient places like Babylon or Persia, they are probably referring to people such as the astrologers, sorcerers, enchanters, Magicians. In fact, the word magician came from the word magi. Magi, right? M-A-G-I. And uh, they are people who interpret dreams and they are people who practice occult magic, astrology, interpretation of Jesus, all kinds of secret arts. They are kind of the wise advisors of the pagan kings. Okay, like Babylon, when he needs help, he looks for his wise men and these are the people. But their methods and their practices are actually forbidden in the Jewish country in many Expects so they're unlikely to be kings. And meanwhile, the word Orient is kind of confusing in our present world. You know, being very, very proud of our ancestry, we think Orient means probably the kings came from China. It's, it's totally not. Uh, so I think it's better off that we keep to the Bible's word of using the word East, right? And it's most it could well be Babylon, Persia, or or, or the like, if you get the picture. And finally, the Bible. Did mention three gifts, but definitely not three wise men. So it could well be two magi or twenty magi. Okay, so so I hope I didn't spoil your Christmas, <laughs> coming Christmas, by telling you that this song uh, didn't give you uh, the, the the best picture of Christmas. But this was happened. Now the studies of stars led the magi to believe that there is a great king amongst the Jews that was born, and they followed the star. And they head to the most natural place that they should head to. They end up at Jerusalem. Right? They, they, they totally miss Bethlehem. Right? They reach Jerusalem and they knock at the palace door. And the king opened it. No, the king didn't really open the door. But they came to King Herod. Historically, he's called Herod the Great. He was a great builder, very capable man, extremely paranoid and ruthless. So the Magi appeared at the doorstep of King Herod and say, where is the child born king of the Jews? We saw his star when he rose and have come to worship him. Now imagine you are King Herod. What would be your response? Sudden appearance of a group of wise men from, from the east. And they say, we are looking for the king of Jews. You say, what? I am the king of Jews. No, no not you. Have you seen the child that was born king of the Jews? That is what King Herod sees and hears. In fact, they say, well, this shell has his own star, you no know, imprint on him, and we are looking for it. Well, <laughs> Herod is a kind of ruthless man, but because the major aren't Jews, right, so he can't really do anything with them but to get upset. Very upset. Look at verse 3 to verse 6 with me. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. Now, not only was the king upset, all the, all Jerusalem started to feel disturbed. And so the king he gathered his own group of wise men, um, those with the knowledge of God. And verse four he said, he said, when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied. Now the 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 the, the question we ask is, have the Jews forgotten that God had promised them a Messiah king? Uh, the, the truth is, they have not forgotten. Even King Herod, who is not really a Jew, he knows that God had promised a Messiah. He wants, he wants to find out where is the Messiah to be born. And guess what? When Herod asked the question, apparently the people's chief priests, and teachers of the law, they all knew the answer. So "Yeah, Well, actually, God did give it to in, 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 as a prophecy to us in Micah chapter 5. And this is what God said to us. Let's look at the passage, verse 5 to verse 6. For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. It was a prophecy that the wise people of Israel, spiritual leaders, they knew. And now they have revealed it. And now King Herod and the Magi too knew the answer to the question. The king of the Jews will be born in the town of David. In fact, he's born already. So what would they do with this knowledge of the birth of the king of the Jews? Well, there are three groups. Like the Magi, the, the spiritual leaders, and King Herod. For the Magi, most likely Gentiles, they headed straight off to Bethlehem. And when they found the child and his mother, Mary, verse 11 tells us, they were overjoyed, they bowed down, they worshipped him as king. You know, these Gentiles, who probably practices things that the Jews would call sinners, they bowed down and worshipped the true king of the Jews, Jesus. It's such an amazing picture if you just imagine your, your Christmas card or whatever it is, right? Maybe not three of them. Uh, anything but three, maybe more. This magi traveled a long distance, and now they present their treasures to Jesus, the king of the Jews. And after they worshiped Jesus, the true king, they turned and went home and they left Herod, the people's king, alone. So meanwhile, but meanwhile, what did the chief priests and the teachers of the law do, do with this news? You no, know, They have been hearing, they have been reading, And the announcement has come. God's king has arrived. Well, what the chief priests and the teachers of the law did was actually even more amazing than the Magi. The chief priests and the teachers of the law did nothing. They were indifferent. The knowledge of the promised king and the news that he is born did Nothing to them at all. They did not search for him, not to mention worship him. Perhaps they'll say, oh, okay, maybe that. let's just wait and see what happens. While the Gentiles are flogging to look for him, the, the spiritual leaders who are meant to point the world to God did nothing. And then finally we have the people's king, King Herod. And his response was, let's get him killed. Let's kill the Messiah, the king of the Jews. Now, there are so much application for us here but we will come back to them later on for now bethlehem clearly revealed to us who was to be God's true king and who wasn't it was not king herod appointed by the rome by rome it was king jesus provided by god prophesied to be born in the town of david in bethlehem but now we must move on to the next place because things are going to get Nasty. So now the one who hated Jesus won him dead. King Herod wants King Jesus dead. And let's look at the story. Verse 13 to 14. When the Magi had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Now, you may ask, why escape to Egypt? Um... Actually, Egypt is a very practical and good place for Joseph, Mary, and Jesus to head there. Eh? Um, given that Bethlehem is such a small town, 9 kilometers away, uh, it doesn't take very long for King Herod to be sleepless and realize that the Mag- Magis are not coming back. Now, the fear, the anger is going to come. Hey, 9 kilometers, they are not back after a few days. And he's going to come for the kid. And another thing about Egypt is, between Bethlehem, the small town, and like Egypt, historians actually tell us that during Jesus' time, the first century, Egypt had up to a million Jews. So if you want to hide from the king, that's probably the best place, right? It makes between the Egyptians, and there are tons and tons of Jews. You might even have relatives or distant relatives in, in, in Egypt, isn't it? So there it was, verse 14. Joseph got up took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. If, you're, you, have to, if you actually wear the sandals of a Jew, you could, you could sense the story, the urgency. The angel comes and says, Get up, get up, get up. And Joseph woke up and says, Nine kilometers, not very far, right? <laughs> uh, for the king to come. And they pack up whatever little things they have. And you no, know, providentially, they also had some gold, <laughs> frankincense, myrrh with them too bring along and tight them through the time, and they head off. But when they head off, and the Magi didn't return, King Herod was not happy at all. Look at verse 16. Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi. He was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and his vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Now, according to history, because this is not just from the Bible, according to history, Herod the Great is an extremely ruthless man. He's a very smart man, but he's a very ruthless man. He'll kill his favorite wife, he'll kill his children, his sons, he'll kill people who are close to him, if he even thinks that they are looking at his crown a bit too long. So he's a very paranoid man and he's a ruthless man. So it is actually historically not surprising that he will kill the boys in Bethlehem and just in case the vicinity as well because he would leave no accidents that someone will come and take his crown. If he will kill his wife and his sons, he will kill anyone. So that's what happened. So Joseph married Jesus, they escaped and the children did not. And here, verse 17 and 18 tells us, in other words, from the prophets. This is where 17 says, After the children in Bethlehem and its vicinity were all killed, it says, Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. If you are a Jew, you actually be familiar with this quote. For, for Singaporeans, we are not. For Jew, they would be. These words in verse 18 were words from the prophet Jeremiah in 31. Rachel, first of all, Rachel was often known as the mother of Israel, of the people of Israel. Rachel was the wife of Jacob. Um, she was known, she was kind of considered to be the mom of all of Israel that are, are born to Jacob. Right? All, all of the 12 children born to Jacob, who is known as Israel. And we, we read this in Genesis 35. What happened was this. Rachel was pregnant and was heading towards Bethlehem. But before she reached Bethlehem, she delivered her child at Ramah, Ah, delivered her child Benjamin. And she died at her birth, at at the birth of uh, Benjamin. And, uh, she died and was buried at Ramah. So this child Benjamin became The source of her greatest pain. But the father named him as his future hope. He is the son of my right hand. In fact, it is in a sense, isn't it? Because the first king of Israel was from Benjamin. So when this is mentioned by Jeremiah, uh, he says, Jeremiah uses Rachel and says, Rachel weeping for her children the people of Israel. What was happening when Jeremiah was quoting this was another big incident. Jeremiah, when he was saying this in chapter 31 of his book, uh, the people were actually being uh, exalted to Babylon. And he's quoting as if Rachel was in Ramah looking at Israel or his people being totally sent off to the foreign land and she weeps. And that's why Jeremiah used this. But Jeremiah 31, when this is given, comes underneath it a hope, uh, in the, in the midst of all the crying. And let me read to you what Jeremiah actually says, including, um, the hope underneath the grief. This is what Jeremiah says in 31. I'm reading to you, Jeremiah, not Matthew, okay? This is what the Lord says, A voice is heard in Ramah, mourning and great weeping, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. This is what the Lord says, Restrain your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears. They will return from the land of the enemy so there is hope for your descendants, declared the Lord. Your children will return to their own land. So this is the actual quote from Jeremiah that when Jeremiah says "Ah, the children of Rachel is no more, God says they will come back and this is the great sorrow and this is God's promise of rescue and this is where Matthew comes in that Matthew the author quotes Jeremiah when King Herod the Great killed all the boys Because at one level, it's a grief that could not be comforted. How are you going to comfort a mom and a dad who just lost his son and he didn't even know why? But this is in the context that even though all the mothers and the fathers lose their children and it seems impossible to comfort, God will bring comfort in the future. In the midst of the grievous killing by the tyrant, God will bring about the rescue of His people. Because in fact, there is another tyrant that's linked to this story, which is in 1,400 years before Jesus and Herod, there was another tyrant. He was afraid. He was afraid of God's people. And he would kill all the boys if he need to, to make sure that he keeps his kingdom solid. His name was Pharaoh of Egypt. But in all the killing, one boy escaped. And his name was Moses. And God used Moses to bring out his people from Egypt into the land that God has promised. So as we read Matthew chapter 2, you realize that Exodus 2.0 is coming again. As the boys were being killed, one child escaped, went into Egypt. And now verse 15 says this. Let me read to you verse 16, 15. So Jesus stayed in Egypt until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said to the prophet. Out of Egypt, I called my son. So what was God doing now in Matthew and what is Matthew trying to explain to his readers? I think this is what is happening. Matthew is trying to tell his readers who are so familiar with Jewish history. They even have the book of Exodus, right? So they are so familiar with the history of Exodus that God says, One, like Moses, would come and bring my people out of slavery. But not just slavery from Egyptians or the Romans. Is coming out to bring them out of a greater slavery from sin that leads to death. Because this is exactly what we read last week. Let me read to you just one verse from last week when the angel spoke to Joseph about Jesus. This is what the angel said in Matthew one twenty one. He said to Joseph, Mary will give birth to a son. You, give, you have to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sin. Not just from Rome. From their sin. He will save them from eternal death. So dear friends, at Bethlehem, we saw God revealed Jesus to be a true king. In Egypt, God revealed Jesus to be the saving king. One that is greater than Moses. One that will inaugurate salvation or Exodus 2.0. The one that God has called out of Egypt. His own son. And so God revealed that He will promise and He will fulfill the way that He did in exile. Remember the timing that we had last week? The exile was a time that is it's impossible to hear God's voice. But that was the very time after 14 generation, the third movement, God raised up one that they cannot refuse and they cannot expect would be able to do what God promised. And He will. So we have journeyed to Bethlehem. We have journeyed to Egypt. And there's one more place for us to go together before we enter this passage. Look at verse 19 to 22. Verse 19. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Achilleus was reigning in Judea, in place of his father, Herod, he was afraid to go there. When Herod the Great died, Joseph would kind of finally return to his land. Well, perhaps he could go to Bethlehem again. But then Joseph heard that the son of Herod the Great, Herod Achilleus, was reigning in Judea, which was which was where Bethlehem and uh, and Jerusalem were. Joseph was afraid. Why, why was Joseph afraid of Achilleus? Because this is, this is what is Achilleus in, in history, right? Achilleus, after, after Herod the Great died, his kingdom was split into three. Okay? Uh, the emp- the first emperor of Rome, uh, Caesar Augustus, he split it to three of, uh, uh, Herod the Great's children and Achille, uh, Herod the Great's children. Herod Achilleus inherited a portion of Judea, which is where Jerusalem and Bethlehem are. But you know what? Achilles is known to be a cruel tyrant. Uh, he's known to be sensual and he, in the extreme he's, he was known to be a hypocrite. He was known to be a plotter. That by 86, even the emperor couldn't stand him and deposed him off. Um, that's, that's the kind of, uh, uh, um, the ruler that Achilles was. No wonder you can think that when Joseph heard that Harris dead, he didn't come back, oh, Achilles is there. The next thing he did, he moved all the way to the east, right, <laughs> to Galilee of Nazareth to stay. And this is where uh, we read verse 22 to 23. Having been warned in a dream, Joseph withdrew to the district of Galilee. He went and lived in a town called Nazareth. And so, and was so was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. He would be called a Nazarene. Now, our last verse in verse 23. This is where. Uh, I need to use your, get you to use your muscles, brain muscles a little bit. It's kind of an interesting verse because if you actually look at the Bible, there wasn't a specific prophecy that a Messiah would be called a Nazarene. There wasn't. What you have in the Old Testament is that there will be a Messiah who will be despised, who will be looked down upon. But then, Nazareth in the district of Galilee is just the right place. We'll read this again in Matthew 4. But basically, Galilee was not a place that the Jews think highly of. It's a place where Jews and Gentiles kind of mix together. Where it is. In fact, one of Jesus' future disciples, when he heard Jesus came from Galilee or Nazareth, this is why he said, let me quote to you um, a a, a short passage from John 1. This is Jesus' future disciples. Philip found Nathanael and told him, Hey, we found the one Moses wrote about in the law. And about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. <laughs> Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? And this is not a sole example. In, in John we move on to chapter seven when Jesus started teaching and people became shocked and they had to decide, so who is Jesus? Some of them said this, and in chapter seven, let me say to you some of them said I think he's the Messiah. Then the other says, how can the Messiah come from Galilee? You nuts. Does not scripture say Messiah will come from David's descendants from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? And thus the people divided. Well, they didn't really know he was there, but he says, Galilee, come on. King does not come from Galilee. Because that's true. Nazareth is no royal city. It's no place for kings. It's very far from Jerusalem. It's totally unimpressive. But Jesus, God's chosen Messiah, King Jesus, lived there. and He actually chose to begin his ministry from there. He did not identify himself with the rich, the powerful, the famous. He identified himself with the despised, the lowly, the rejects by the spirituals. He came not to save the good people, because there's none. He came to save the lost, the sinners, the desperates, and that's where we hear what the Messiah actually looks like in isaiah fifty three This is a famous Christmas passage. Let me just read to you isaiah fifty three He was despised, rejected by mankind, a man of suffering, familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. but surely he took up our pain, bore our suffering. Yet we consider him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. So this is how Jesus is being presented before he even spoke or did anything from Matthew 3 onwards. But dear friends, as we come to the end of chapter 2, I think Matthew has two important things for us to take away. The first is to first review who is Jesus. He is actually the true king. He's actually the saving king. And he's actually the humble king. Before he even became an adult and revealed himself, this is what Matthew tells us that God is saying about the king. But the second thing that Matthew wants us in this chapter to confront us and the first listeners is this. What do we do with the knowledge of God's Messiah King? What if you search carefully and found that Jesus really is historically authentic. And if you read the Bible, you realize that he must be true because you can't find any way out to get away from it. What will you and I do with that kind of information? How will you and I respond? Will we hate Jesus like King Herod? You know, not because Jesus was wrong, but because Jesus just threatens his kingship. Because the reality in, in this world Many have hated Jesus, not because he said anything wrong, but because they, he is such a disturbance in their life. They don't need another king to tell them what is right and wrong. In this world, there are many who just want to be king or who just want to make decisions their way. And who are you to tell me what I should do? So there will be those who hate Jesus like King Herod. Or will we ignore Jesus like the people's chief priests and the teachers of law? No, will we hear and ignore him after knowing that he's true? You know, churchgoers, um, Christian or not, churchgoers, it's, it's easy for us to be able to give all the right answers because we can get the right knowledge, but the right knowledge does not save. It does not mean having a right knowledge means we are worship, just like the spiritual leaders of Jesus' time. They were in, they're indifferent to Jesus. So will we hear and ignore Jesus? Or finally, will we actually come and worship Jesus like the Gentile Magis? It doesn't matter who we are or where we are from or what we have been or what we have done. That we will come and recognize that Jesus is God's true, saving and humble King. And we say we will come to Him and worship Him just as we are. So as we kind of end off today, the town of Bethlehem revealed God's true king. Egypt revealed to us, he is God's saving king. You know, the district of Nazareth of Galilee revealed that he will be the humble king to save the hopeless, the despised, the rejects. So I think what's left for us as a reflective question is, how will we respond to Jesus Jesus as God reveals him? To ask, will we hate him? Will we ignore him? Or will we truly worship him for who he is? This is where we'll end, but this is just the beginning because Jesus has not even started speaking. So uh, with that, let me end with prayer and we we'll have a time of Q&A if you have questions on chapter 2 and we can engage on that together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have so uh, amazingly prepared Jesus through genealogy, through His birthplace, through the place he's been to, before he even speaks a single word. But Father, we wait in expecting hope and with expectation in the coming weeks as we hear Jesus' words and we read the the works of Jesus that we will be confronted with the King that we have prepared. But at this moment, help us to recognize that there are three ways for us to live. Whether we will hate Him, whether we will ignore Him, or whether we will really worship Him. So Father, in this coming week, just help us to think uh, of ourselves. And as we think of what we know of Jesus, that you help us to get ready for more weeks to come. When we hear from our Lord Jesus Himself. Amen.